Take a seat. How you doing, brother? <laughs> take a seat. Take a seat. Take a load off your feet. Woo, woo. You guys, uh, you guys act like you love each other. I mean, you guys are rowdy today. I love it. I love it. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, it is always uh, a privilege that I never want to take for granted that I get to stand up here before you to navigate through the Word of God. Um, I want to apologize in advance. My son is uh, on the slides in the back, and so uh, pray for him. In fact, both my son and Pastor Brian's son were both back there, and as I was leaving, <laughs> yeah. As I was leaving to come back here, my son was like, how do you? I was like, hey, I got to go, dude. You got to figure it out. <laughs> just, just pray. Just pray. Ask God. So, um, so last week, Pastor Brian kicked off a new sermon series entitled God's Masterpiece. And so he talked about the Imago Dei, the image of God, how through Christ, uh, we are... Uh, we are created in uh, God's image and how the Messiah can turn messy people into masterpiece. Uh, we can't do it, but in Christ, we are his, his uh, workmanship, his handiwork. And so today we're going to be looking at biblical manhood. Well, yeah. Where, where are my men at? Let's go. Woo. Why do we bark? Why do, why, that's just like, oh, help us, Jesus. Oh, man, we're in trouble. We, too, need to pray really soon here. Are we ready? It's, it's like, like Job, like God told Job, brace yourself like a man. Here we go. Um, as I was preparing for our time together, I kept thinking about and praying for the tone of this message. Um, I think traditionally when it comes to talking about this topic of biblical manhood, uh, there could be this aggressive, in your face, wake up man, tone. And, and honestly, actually, I get that. And, and there actually might be an element of that in this message but I've been praying that in our time together, that the tone and the content of this message will be God-honoring. Uh, my goal, men, today is not to beat you up. Um, I, I do pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be challenged to, to wake up and be the men that God has called us to be. But my prayer this week uh, has been my friend, I've really sensed this, that, that somehow God desires and wants to meet with all of us, right? All of us, but desires to meet with us men uh, deeply this morning. Like, he wants to meet with us at, at, at a deeper level, and, and then he wants to encourage us to be the men that he called us to be. Uh, men, we need to be encouraged, and I pray that the, our time together will be challenging, will be deep, and that God, by his spirit, will encourage us. 
and that we will rally together as we leave this place uh, motivated and inspired to be the men that God has called us to be. And it's interesting as you, um, as you sermon prep and you begin to sense things that you, beget, you, you, you believe that God wants to do, uh, the reality is, is I can't do it. Like I can't conjure up what I felt as I was preparing in my spirit that I, I think God is going to take us. Like I can't make it happen, um, but he can. And so we're going to pray and uh, I'm going to invite you to pray. Uh, I'm going to ask God to journey through this, that God, will you meet with us deeply today? God, as men, will you encourage our hearts today? Uh, God, would you allow us to be the men that you have called us to be, that we will leave here motivated and inspired to do that? So we must pray. Father, thank you for this time to, to navigate through your word. And um, as we talk about just a real topic, Lord, there is... All of us are impacted by this. Although it's a biblical manhood conversation that we're having this morning, we're all affected by it. And so I pray, God, that you will meet with us. Holy Spirit, have your way. I am always aware of my inability to, to really do anything up here. But, God, if you come, lives can be changed. And I pray that that will take place. Father, will you minister to men in a very deep way this morning. Um, God, will you allow us to, uh, for a few moments this morning, kind of just take off the mask, um, help us to be vulnerable before you. And God, as we do that, uh, I pray that you would encourage our hearts to be the man that you've called us to be. We love you and pray that you have your way in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <laughs> we kind of, traditionally, I'll, I'll read kind of a, a theme, uh, a theme passage where um, we'll just kind of unpack. It's going to be a little bit different today. We'll look at uh, a couple of different passages. So in Genesis 3, we see it's actually the first question that God asks in all of Scripture is found in Genesis 3. And I think it's always interesting when you see in Scripture that God asks a question uh, whenever, you, whenever God asks a question, uh, realize that it's never because he does not know the answer. It's like, why are you asking this question? Uh, when God asks a question, it's always to reveal something. And so uh, we, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and, 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 and Jesus, and God looks at uh, the man Adam, and he asks this question. But the Lord called to the man, who he called to? The man, uh, that's going to be interesting in a second. He called to the man and he said, what, where are you? Now, he's omnipresent. He's, he's always there. Did, did he not know where the man was? He knew where the man was, but he's asking this question for a reason. God asked, Adam, where are you? And I, I believe that embedded in this question, there is this element of the first question that God ever asked in Scripture that is dealing with Adam's responsibility as a man. This, this, this question is a, a direct response to the fall. 
And many of you guys know this familiar story. It's in Genesis chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that God uh, had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? <laughs> did, God, did God say the originator of that is Satan himself? And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when, when the woman saw that the tree was, uh, was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. She took the fruit and ate it. I think a lot of times we look at this dialogue and we're like, it's just Satan and Eve. But here we see in this next section that her husband was right there. And she also gave some to her husband. Where was he? Who was with her? And he ate. So Adam and Eve, they fell. It's the original sin, and we are all infected with this sin nature. So they sin, and God responds. And I think it's interesting, and also it's intentional, that God approaches Adam first. Because the question is like, who, who ate the fruit first? It was that woman, Adam says. <laughs> that woman you gave me. So, so, so Eve ate the apple. Why didn't God respond to her first? Initially, it actually seems unfair that God will look at Eve and address him first. How is it that God held Adam primarily responsible for what happened? It's because God had given Adam responsibility. And Men, a big part of manhood is responsibility. So, so scripture says this, God, God gives Adam the responsibility. It says in Genesis chapter two, verse 17, and the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. God held Adam responsible to make sure that things were done his way. You've, you've, got, you've got dominion to rule and to make sure things are done my way. And as the serpent was tempting Eve, what did Adam do? He passively stood there and did absolutely nothing. Uh, he, he was there the whole time. He did nothing to stop the situation. Adam dropped the ball, he abandoned his position as a man. So God calls to him and he says, Adam, where are you? And, 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 and it's a profound question. Where are you? Where, where are you, man of God? Where did you go? What did you do? Where are you? And I think that the missing man is one of the greatest crises of our day. And, and, and just like God approached Adam, I think today he, he's approaching us and he's like, where, where 
other men. A lack of biblical masculinity has led to so much brokenness in our land. And I began to like dig and begin to look for stats, but I was like, I'm not gonna do that. All I've gotta do is say it, and there's stories in a room that can attest to the fact that the lack of biblical masculinity has led to a lot of brokenness in your life. Where are the men of God? I believe so many are here has. But it's time for us men to rise up and be the man that God has called you to be in his word. God has given us this picture of what it means to be a man of God. And so what do we do? We submit to the picture of scripture. Scripture is the authority. Even, so everything that comes from God is subject to God and we align ourselves to his design as men. And now what's become, and it's laid out in scripture, what is simple and orderly has now become more complicated than ever. There is such an insult in our culture of what it means to be a man. Our culture despises the picture of biblical masculinity. And and the problem is it gives no compelling pathway to manhood. It's like, I don't like this, but I I have nothing better to give you. In fact, you know what our culture is doing? Our culture is trying to prolong the pathway to manhood. There there is no pathway, they're just trying to prolong it. Years ago, there just used to be two stages, right? It it was like, I'm a child, and then at a certain age, I I do, uh, uh, there are different things that mark me that I now become uh, um, an adult. So I, I get a job, I get married at a young age, and so I'll go from childhood, and now I become an adult. But, but, but now we have, and, and I get it, but now we, we, have, we have childhood, there's now this men stage and now adult. So now we have childhood and there's now adolescence. And within adolescence there is early, there's mid and late adolescence. And you know what's been happening over time? In each of the sub-stages of the adolescent in early, mid, and late adolescent, in late adolescent, let's say years ago, it was 18 to 21. It's like every so often, you know what they're doing with late adolescent? They're prolonging it. It's, it's not now 21, it's 23, 24, 25. So what is our culture doing? It's trying to prolong our young men from becoming men, and there's no pathway to manhood. As a result, men are taking longer to get married, longer to find careers, longer to have children, longer to leave their home, and there is no intentional plan to change. Our culture is aggressive in its pursuit to reject the picture of godly manhood, but listen, it will not escape its effects. Like you can say no to this, but you're gonna suffer from your no to this. God has designed this beautiful picture of manhood, and God's design for manhood, it is what is best. God has designed men with these specific roles and responsibilities. 
And so scripture makes it clear, and we'll talk through this because I think you hear this and it feels a certain way. God bless you. Scripture makes it clear that God has called the man to lead and be the head of the house. It got really tense, right? Talking to a uh, good buddy of mine Friday, we had lunch with Paul Nelson. If you don't know Paul Nelson, make sure that you, you, uh, you connect with him. He's an he's a incredible guy. He, uh, he was educating me regarding ballroom dancing. Uh, you gotta, I almost called him up here and wanted to have him demonstrate. Uh, I don't know if I can tell this, but you, you gotta ask him, uh, Harlem Globetrotters, uh, what they do at one of their, um, their events, they randomly pick up a, a guy out of the crowd and they begin to make you ballroom dance. And at that point, you've got one or two things. You can like be stiff or just like go with it. Uh, Paul has a cool story of how they called him up and he just like went with it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so <laughs> so make, sure, make sure you talk with him after that. But he was telling me that, that ballroom dancing, he was educating me about ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing works best when the man is leading. He actually went so far to say this, that even if the man has to learn by making a bunch, bunch of mistakes, it's more effective than when the woman leads. Ballroom dancing gets what scripture lays out. Now, this can feel a certain way. Many people don't like to hear that. This is not saying that men, women don't have uh, influence or leadership. We'll talk about women last, next week, and I'll, I'll just leave that over here, right? <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> Praise God. No, no. Many people don't like to hear that, and I believe because it's, Sally has been manipulated. And we grieve, we grieve those moments when men have taken this beautiful picture of scripture and manipulated. God is not pleased with that. And men, if you, you stand and, and you have to consistently announce to your wife and to your kids that you are the head of the house, you are not leading well. If you walk around your house dominating and demanding, you are completely out of order. As a man, there is, there is absolutely nothing about this call as a man that should produce pride in you. If that's you, you don't get it. You don't get it. More than anything, there is this great weight and great responsibility that is placed on us as men and the understanding of it should draw us to our knees daily. Nothing to be proud about, boastful about, flex about. It's a weight. It's a weight. And man, I hope you feel it. It's a weight. Man is based upon responsibility, and a biblical man embraces those responsibilities. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 13 through 14, he says, Be watchful. Keep your head on a swivel. Stand firm in the faith. It says, Act like men. 
Be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful, men. Do you, do you have a good pulse on what's happening in your home? Are, are things uh, suddenly happening in your home that you are not aware of because you're not on your guard? Are you, are you in tune with what's happening in the heart of, of, of your wife and your kids? Like, like are, you, are you connected with that all? Is there, there's just like this disconnect. Like I've, I've got, I think about it, like our son, our oldest son is 14. And I just think in just a few years, he's gone. And those years are gonna fly like that. And I feel the weight of that. Guess what? I am all up in his grill. <laughs> I am all up in that. Like, give me your cell phone, son. What? No, that's not, no. I, I am all up in that. I ask the tough questions. And so wait. Do you monitor what your kids watch on TV? Do you know how much time they spend on their phone? Fam family, if this is you, if you're kids have the autonomy to take their phone in their room and be on it for hours, make today the day that it stops. Amen. Like make today the say, like, like come down, come together, talk about it. That should not be the case. Be on your guard. Do you know what they're doing in their cell phones? Are you noticing the schemes of the enemy in your house? He is busy. He has no boundaries, and I hate him. I begin to think of like, like, do you realize he looks at your kids and he's not eat? Some people have a thing like, I can't touch them. Listen, he'll touch them. He has no boundaries. He'll come after your wife. He'll come after your kids. And listen, are you on your guard, man? Fight the right battle, man. Fight the right battle. Listen to me, man. For those of you who are married, your wife isn't your enemy. Stop fighting against her. Bring her together and you guys fight right. Fight the right battle. It means to protect. Listen, I don't know, it's just, it just naturally happened. When I became a husband and a father, I became way more protective than I've ever been in my life. And now there's this thing in me, I got a picture, look at, look at the, most of you guys know my, look at those kids, whoa. They're so, thank God they look like my beautiful wife. <laughs> Praise God, they got that gift. When I begin to have a wife and the kids, there's something that arose in me that there is absolutely, there's this thing that there's, where, where there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that I wouldn't do to protect my family. I don't care what it is. Maybe as a, as a young man, I was, I would be like afraid to jump if a dog came, not, not anymore to protect them. Yep. I, I, I don't care what the, what the offense is. There's, there's nothing that I wouldn't do to protect my family. 
Stand firm in the faith. God has placed the spiritual, listen men, God has placed the spiritual condition of your home on you. And I pray for you men that there is this anthem over your house that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not just a cool uh, slogan. I pray that there's a conviction in your heart that that's a non-negotiable. The man of the house is responsible for, uh, for con contributing to the sanctification of his wife and kids. Be in the word. Be a man of prayer. Initiate spiritual discipline within your home. Do you guys have family devotional? Do you take your kids and sit them down and talk about the word? Create rhythms and position your family connect, to connect with God and grow spiritually. Men, we were called to initiate this. Do you take the role as men to deeply care for the spiritual well-being of your family seriously? He says, be strong. Talk about this in a minute and let all that you do be done in love. Your strength is determined by the dependent, your dependency on Christ. And we lead by loving. We are called to love our wives like Christ loved the church. We consistently ask, what's the most loving thing to do in this situation? The Bible says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It's this picture of biblical manhood. And in the face of this picture of manhood, what do we do, men? What do we do? Um, I remember at the beginning of this year, I don't do like New Year's resolutions, but I always reflect. And as I was reflecting on the past year, uh, there was like this real thing in me. It was almost like subconsciously, and it's something very simple, that as I was reflecting, I kept uh, in my head, it's just this resounding statement. And it was simply this, I just want to get better. I just want to get better. I just want to be a better follower of Christ. I just want to be a better husband. I just want to be a better dad. I just, just want to be a better minister of the gospel. I want to be a better brother of Christ. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But it was like constant. I just want to be better. I just want to be better. I just want to be better. And like, to the point where I was like, I don't just want to say it. I, I, I want when June comes this year, I actually want to see the better that I hope to be. Like, I don't just want to talk about it. I literally want to be better. And so... Uh, I actually came up with a detailed plan. Uh, some of you guys might heard of this, a, a rule of life. And so I sat down and I literally came up with a detailed plan. On Mondays, I do this. On Tuesdays, I do this. On uh, Tuesdays, I sit down in Canaan. And Tuesday night, we sit down and whether we're watching something or reading scripture, we are diving together in, in, in our relationship with the Lord together. On Wednesdays, I do this. On so I, I came up with this, uh, sent it over to my mentor, the whole man accountable. Do you know, as excited as I was about this plan, do you know, like, the thing that kept coming up? 
as I was excited about it, I submitted it, and I even look at it. You know the thing that kept coming up in me is, I don't think I can do this. I just kept, I kept coming, I, I, I think I'm just selling myself up to fail. I, 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 I can't do that. And I think one of the realest feelings in the room as we've looked at this picture of biblical manhood is this. That's, that's not me. Like, I don't think I can do this. I think this is more of a man's experience that, that men would like to admit. And, and I've been noticing recently as, as I've been reading scripture there's like this different angle that I've been taking as I look at scripture. I've been reading things and I've been seeing the weight of the psychological aspect of the people that we see in the Bible. What do I mean? For example, Moses. In the book of Exodus, God calls Moses and he informs him that he is sending him to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so Moses responds and he says, who am I that I should go? to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And what God does is he says, listen, he says, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you brought the people out of Israel, you shall serve God on this mountain. Confirmation. Moses didn't ask like, what if the people ask, like who sent me? What, what should I say? What is, what is the name that I should give them? This is where God says this incredible response. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God then tells Moses to gather the elders and the elders will listen to him. He's got this protection. God then lays out the plan to Moses. Moses then says to God, oh my, oh my Lord, I am, uh, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. Then what does the Lord say to, say to me? He says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? If it is not I, is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So, so look at this. God gives Moses, uh, he, he, Moses receives the, the purpose, the plan, the promise, the protection. He even gives him a prop and a staff. And, and most importantly, he's got the person Jesus. He's got the person God. So in the face of the purpose, the plan, the promise, the protection, the prop, and the person, what do you think Moses' response would have been? Let's go. Like, like I'm, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. Let's go. But look at what Moses' Moses' response was. This is what he says. But he said, "Oh my Lord, please send someone else." <laughs> I remember reading this, and I've read it before. But something in me just stopped. And I'm like, what is that? What is, and I begin to feel the weight of it. I begin to, 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 to look, take inventory in Moses' life and I begin to see and trace through this point that listen, he has a story and his story has a wound. 
And so in the face of the purpose, the plan, the promise, the prop, the person, Moses was paralyzed by something. That the thing that spoke loudest to him was his wound. I don't fit in. I, I don't belong. I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. And I began to think and ponder this question, how much of the lack of biblical manhood that we see in the men around us is actually a man that is paralyzed by a wound? A man just like Moses who looks at himself in the mirror and he says, send somebody else. I can't do it. You, you always behave in a way that is consistent with how you see yourself. When value is absent, settling is, is present. When you look at a man and you see his frailties, family, realize he has a story. Every man has a story and every story has a wound. I think it's so easy to look at a man and say, why are you like this? Why aren't you leading? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Listen, he has a story and his story has a wound. It's in Psalms, for I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. Man, why are you silent? Man, why are you passive? Why are you prideful? Why are you struggling with this addiction? Man, why are you angry? A silent man is a wounded man. A passive man is a wounded man. A prideful man is a wounded man. An addicted man is a wounded man. An angry man is a wounded man. And we don't excuse the behavior, but I think it's so important to understand this. How many of us men look at the men that God has called us to be and say, I just don't have what it takes. I'll never be that. I'm too far gone. It's too late. I need someone to help me. Come help, help me close. I need some soft music right now. Thank you, Jose. Some good old soft music. <laughs> we often, men, we often display like we have it all together, but if we're honest and then we take off the mask. Many of us, we really do feel like Moses. So where in your life are you faking it? Where in your life, like you, you, I look at you guys, you're like, we got it all together, but you're faking it. The poser in you, it's simply in the way. The poser is not your friend. The po posing prevents vulnerability. And behind every posing man is a wounded boy. The boy's tendencies in a man is connected to a wound. Our stories have profoundly shaped who we are. So men, identify your wound. A lot of times, uh, a lot of times it's actually a father wound. You, you, you didn't get the affirmation that you needed from your father. What is your wound? Don't think that if you're not addressing it that it's not impacting you. I look at the, some of the behaviors of men and 
it's like you're hurting. You've got a wound inside of you. Man, what past hurts are hindering your present pursuits? Men, we have a core need and we have a core question. And how that has been handled in the story of our life, it has greatly shaped the man that you are today. You have this fundamental need of love. You have this question, do I have what it takes? And this is why I love the gospel. The gospel does something greater than simply identify your weaknesses and your womb. You know what the gospel does? The gospel deals in the deep. It doesn't shy away from these things. It gets right down deep in there. We can face our wounds in the light of the gospel. Through the gospel, the Father, he accesses our hearts and he works in areas to deposit what you didn't receive. Because of faith in Christ, the Father looks at us and he says to us, like he says to Jesus, he looks at us and he says, listen, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You're trying to be what God has called you to be, but you struggle to believe that you're actually loved by God. You, you know how many men have hardly ever heard this in their lives? Son, I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. Has that been void in your life? I love you and I'm proud of you. In the gospel, the Father through Christ looks at us and say, I love you and I'm proud of you. You are loved. And man, you have what it takes. Some of us have no clue of God's affection for us. We think he's mad at us. We think he's like, hey, what are you doing? No, he loves you. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is gentle and lowly. Man, you are profoundly loved by God. This is the beauty of the gospel that through Christ, we experience the love of God and the validation that we deeply long for. Where Adam failed, Christ won. The remedy of the reality of who we are as men is a revelation of who he is as our master. Adam fell, but Christ won. Look what Romans says. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. But he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God, the free gift of the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many, and the free gift is not like the result of the one's sin. For the judgment following one transpassion through condemnation, but the free gift following the trespasses brought justification. So we sit there justified. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. What should we do? We should deep drink deeply of the love of Christ and we model our life after him. So he has, he has given you life and not only has he given you life, he's empowered you to live the transformed life. So it's not like he's given me life, now I'm still bound by the wound, the, 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 the pain of my past. He has given you life and through the spirit transforming you, he deals deep and allows you to live the life that he's called you to live. He has given you life and empowered you to live the transformed life through the Holy Spirit. We don't simply spend our lives reacting to our dysfunction. There is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that can change us. It's more than methods, more than coping tools, more than best practices. We have the power of God to transform our lives. Don't minimize the Spirit's ability to produce Christ's likeness in you. So what do we do? We say, God, here I am. I'm broken inside, but here I am. Would you, God, transform me from the inside out? Because of the gospel, we can face the brokenness of our past and we'll be met with his grace. And through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, he will transform us so that we can become more like Jesus. Men, I pray that that's your prayer this morning. Will you make me more like Jesus? More of you, Lord, less of me. Make me more like you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, we look at the picture in Scripture of what you've called us to be a men. And the reality is all of us, we look at that and we see in the, 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 the ways that we failed. Our failure is always before us. And I know there are men in the room who look at what you've called us to be and they say, I can't do that. But God, I thank you that you deal in the deep. Father, you meet us right where it hurts, God. You don't ignore that. You don't shy away from that. But that wound, the, the wounded man, the wound inside of us, you know exactly what to do with it. And so I pray that even in the room today, God, Holy Spirit, I'm, I pray that you'll work in such a way that that wounded man who refuses it to face it, refuses to face it will, by your spirit, deal with it and, 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 and experience the freedom in you, God. In you, we have life. Thank you that through your spirit and you, we can be transformed. And so we pray, God, will you make us more like that? Make us more like you, Lord. Do work in us. We want to be, God, we want to be the men that you've called us to be. Will you make us more like you? We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.